This is Movie Land with CJ Johnson. Hello and welcome to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you for joining me for what is the final Movie Land podcast for the foreseeable future as the ABC consolidates its podcasts. The Movie Land podcast, which is housed in a particular division of the ABC, is no longer going to be housed there. Whether or not I can shift it to another area of the ABC or to another network or studio, I'm unsure. But for now, there will be no more podcast episodes. There may be more radio episodes. We'll see about that as well. So if you would like to continue following me, and please do, the best way you can do that is to follow my website. It's called Film Mafia. Just go to Film Mafia, all one word, dot com dot au. F-I-L-M-M-A-F-I-A dot com dot au. The AU is for Australia. There you can subscribe for free. If you're looking at that, do it right now. As you're looking at your computer or your iPad or your tablet or your phone, you'll see a little subscribe button there at filmmafia.com.au. Push that button or perhaps you'll have to enter your email address. Of course you will. Enter your email address, push the button, do whatever you need to do, and you will get sent my reviews and from now on possibly some more articles as well as reviews for free. You'll love it. It's great. You'll still communicate with me. You can comment. That way you can be a part of the <laughs> the CJ Filmiverse, as it were. Maybe I'll start doing interviews on that in sort of literary form. Also, actually, I do post audio to that site as well, and I post video because another way you can follow me is at skippy.tv. That's S-K-I-P-I dot TV. My web TV show, Watch This, is at Skippy TV. You can go directly there and subscribe to it that way, or by subscribing to Film Mafia, you'll get fed episodes of that once again for free. Of course, you could also follow me on Twitter, at CJ Movieland. That Twitter handle will survive. So follow me right now, at CJ Movieland, and that way I will let you know how to follow my work in the future, my film criticism, my film interviews, and the essential (laughs) punditry work of film, cinema, etc. Look, I'm going off on a nice one. A wonderful interview with Stefan Elliott, the excellent Australian auteur, most famous for one of the most fabulous films ever, Priscilla Queen of the Desert. His new film is called Swinging Safari. His love letter to his very 70s childhood swinging safari is constantly frenetic. There is perhaps more pure human energy in every frame than any film I saw in 2017 or in recent memory. Most frames contain at least three people, indeed, often it's more than six, and they're almost always all yelling, moving, gesticulating, agitating. In addition, there are design elements, including iconographic 70s props, practically filling every available space in the frame not filled by a wildly oscillating human or four. There's a hell of a lot of stuff everywhere, all the time, and the sheer energy of it all is undoubtedly contagious, propulsive and fun. Likewise, the performances are pitched substantially above the pace, energy and sheer commitment of real life. Those by some of the rather incredible ensemble cast, Guy Pearce, Ryder Mitchell, Julian McMahon, are allowed to spill heavily over into caricature. But the lead performances by youngster Atticus Robb as Elliot stand-in Jeff Marsh and Jeremy Sims as his dad Bob are at least closer to reality and somewhat touching. According to Stephen Elliott, the film is an extremely autobiographical account of a defining month of his childhood, when he formed a lifelong friendship with costume designer Lizzie Gardner, played here, renamed Molly, by Darcy Wilson. 
The story is framed with a transposed version of the real-life beached whale incident from Florence, Oregon in 1970. As the beachside town Jeff lives in tries to deal with a huge rotting carcass lying on its greatest asset, Bob and his friend's parents experiment with sexual liberation. The energy, the design, the situation, everything about the film feels comedic, but it's not actually a laugh-out-loud kind of film. There aren't a lot of jokes that land, and the drama, such as it is, is underwhelming. But the sheer, colourful brio of the direction, performances and design make for an engaging and relentlessly entertaining 96 minutes. If nothing else, it'll certainly take you back. That's Swing and Safari opening wide in Australian cinemas, and I hope it'll spread to the rest of the world. Here's my interview with writer-director Stefan Elliott. Stefan Elliott's new film is called Swinging Safari. I would suggest it is a love letter to the 1970s written with a poison pen. He's joined me in the studio. Stefan, would you agree with such a thing? It is simultaneously a love letter, but it's written with a bit of a poison pen? No, I think you've got the you're poison all wrong there it's not it's a harsh look it's not poisonous it's 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 actually it's it's nothing but love actually there's a tor- one of the things the films have done all the films is i do have a great way of holding a mirror up i do hold a mirror up and people have not liked it uh, and you know, famously, I did a film called Welcome to Whoop Whoop. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's taken 20 years for people to get the joke and realise exactly <laughs> what I was doing. They said it was poisonous. I, I was actually holding a mirror up. And in this instance, I am very much holding a mirror up to uh, a period in the 70s because it's not poisonous because everything happened. Mm-hmm. That was the point of this. For all of us going into it, I said, did it happen or didn't it? Did it exist or didn't it? If the answer was yes, it went in the film. Right. And that was really fascinating. And then as the actors started coming on, the crew started coming, and people started bringing so much to the table. And that was my mantra when I was drowning in choices. <laughs> Did <laughs> it happen? Yeah. And so you can call it poisonous. I don't think it is. I think it's very honest. Okay. I mean, the did it happen thing is certainly begets the very first question I had when I finished watching the film, which is outside of, you know, the large elephant in the room or the whale on the beach, the the main story, the human story, is that completely autobiographical to you? It's very, 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 very close to the truth. There's okay. two young kids in there, um, Mally and Jeff, and that's very much uh, my long-term costume designer, Lizzie Gardner, and I. We grew up together, and this was our view of the world. And like all kids of an age, we were trying to figure this mess out in, you know, in the in the decade that time and taste forgot, uh, it, you know, we would like any, any of those kids. And the parents, yeah, I based them around people I knew in the street. But then when the actors came on board, they came in with their own memories. And I then she began to realize, I said, okay, I know, I know how we're going to do this now. Play your parents. <laughs> when in doubt, when looking for a truth, play your parents. And with that, all six of our principal cast then began to meld their own parents into it. So it was wonderful to watch. And I'd be able to say, did that happen to your parents? They say, yes, stick it in. We're going with it. And um, so there's a lot of truths, but it's collective truth. Okay. The, I guess the, the – I don't want to give away any details, but – 
the events that the parents go through, are they specific to your parents? Yes, very much. It was uh, a generation. Are your parents? Look, you can say there's not a matter of plot. It was look. This was this. This was the the end of the sixties. It was about you know sexual liberation and, and you know there was freedom and there was money and there was time and there was cask wine and there was coon. In fact, there was too much time. Did you too see too much cask swinging. money and too much coon? And then basically they were reading things about the sexual revolution of the sixties that just got to Australia a little bit too late. And by the time it got here, they'd kind of got all the rules mixed up and they attempted to do the first, you know, <laughs> wife swapping key, and key parties and they just got it all wrong. And that is the beauty of the film. It's not about a story about a, 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 a street full of wife swappers. It's an attempt at doing it that gets completely goes wrong. It just, everything goes wrong. And that is the joy of the film is watching people trying to do something they didn't, they didn't want to. They just yeah. thought they had to. There's a there's a scene at the very very end of the film. I believe it is the last scene of the film that is so difficult to buy. It is such a sort of unlikely occurrence that that's what made me assume that everything had to be true, because the thing that happens involving a South Pacific nation and a small animal seems so impossible that I was like that could only be there to tell us that everything in this film is true. So that is obviously true. Yeah, isn't it sad? You can't actually, you can't pinpoint it as a plot spoiler. But yeah, there's a, there's a cracker of a final scene and it happened. <laughs> that's amazing. And I've heard people saying you really went too far, Mac. And I said, nah, I didn't make that one up. No, see, that's the thing. I, I took it as the opposite, as I say. Yeah. I, I took that well, as, well the, done. as well the proof. Done. Um, so you reunited with a crew that you worked with on Priscilla Queen of the Desert. This was a big, big reunion This was This was getting the band back together. Uh, we had worked, all of us had worked individually over the years on different projects. And I think because this one had been floating around my head, well, it's been floating around my head for about 40 years, I always said I was going to do it. The idea's been there for a very long time. I just had to, I had to wait till I hit 50, actually. It was okay. my 50 moment of realising, okay, what can I do about my past? What, what can we do? How can I deal with this? So almost everybody involved knew it was coming. And it was kind of a weird <laughs> moment. I rang up and said, it's happening. And everybody had plenty of time to make themselves available. And that was, that was very, very rare. So, you know, we got everybody back together again for the first time since Priscilla. And we had to, people had to give up films to make that happen. I mean, so it was, um, it was a marathon eff effort, but I think it was absolutely worth it. For Colin Gibson and Lizzie Gardner especially, I can imagine that this must have just seemed like an awful lot of fun. Uh, fun is actually the completely wrong word. It really? was great on paper, but when we started looking on what we had to do, I mean, it then actually became a logistical nightmare. I mean, you know, 70s, there's a reason so much of the 1970s doesn't exist anymore because they, they threw it all out. Right. It's terrible. And those great fashions to see, you know, the ABBA fashions and stuff, they've all been remade for costume hire places. None right. of those clothes are original. There's a reason 1970s clothes don't exist anymore, because people got rid of them. <laughs> they were revolting. They were absolutely hideous. And they were plastic and rayon and they stunk and they caught fire. And so it sounded great until we started and then we realised... We, we have to build everything. We had to build everything from scratch. And that happened quite late as we started running out of options because we, we'd have to start building. And Colin, God bless him, Colin just, just, just said, okay, um, we have to do it. Let's just not even argue anymore. So we've got a sunken lounge in the film. We've got the most spectacular classic sunken lounge. And Colin found a house and whilst they weren't looking, just cut a huge hole in their floor with the promise of putting it back. <laughs> he didn't ask permission. He just did it. And the owners came in and went nuts. And he said, I'll put it back. I'll put it back. And he said, this is the only way we're going to get this across the line. If we ask for permission and design it, 
when it's, people are going to say no. So we went back to how we've always made films, which is lying, cheating and stealing. I love that. He, Mr. Colin Gibson was a guest on this show about two weeks before he won the Oscar and from my memory of him, I can picture him doing that. <laughs> um, Carly, Carly and I just, when you know, and also working with crews that you've known so long for so long, you know, we, we have a shortcut. There's a second language. Uh-huh. I'll just say, look across, everyone's trying to stop traffic, and the kids are all whatever, and I'll just look at Colin and give him the nod, and Colin will go out and stand in the middle of five lanes of traffic with his arms <laughs> up, and literally on an expressway put his arms up, and I'll say, action, whilst everyone was trying to talk about how to stop the traffic, Colin just threw himself, throws himself in the middle of the road, and the traffic stops, and I just go, action, and we can roll. It would take us an hour to organise everybody else to do that, and Colin and I, we know we can do it in about, oh, three seconds. That's great. So, talking about the costumes and, you know, the scenic design, the houses, the sunken living room, but what about all those props? Was he building all those props too? Because the, 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 the frame is just jammed full of props. Yeah, no, it was a bit of a collective edit. I, I'd been collecting the list, right, it's in the script, but I've been collecting the what, you know, I just space food sticks. <laughs> I remember reading those. Clubs, I remember what they taste like. Sunny Boy. Is Perkins paste. I'd been for years had been compiling the list, and then everyone came in with their own lists, and suddenly we were drowning. There was so much to find, and we did find we were very lucky on a couple of fronts, but unfortunately, we had to make a lot at the last minute, which was a bit of a that was again a marathon last week and a half in when we just couldn't find stuff. We made it, and that that it's fine, but it. That hurts. Do you know how hard it is to find a ring pull can? I was wondering about the cans of beer. They're cans of beer with a ring pull, and we searched high and low, and I think we found a case of beer in uh, Minnesota that hadn't been opened. We had 14 cans, and we could only open 14 on camera. Wow. And Kylie's character is the big drinker, so... I'd, in the middle of a take, if I wasn't happy, I'd literally jump across camera and wrench the can out of her hand because we could only open 14 of them. Jeremy Sims, I remember thinking during the screening, I saw Jeremy Sims is drinking a beer that I don't remember. It's real. Is it's it? Beer. Yep. It, was, it, it, was, it said ale and then beneath it it said pale. And these days you see pale ale, but this was called ale pale. No, it was actually quite, well, whatever it was then, we had to make all those cans and it was a, it was a Queensland beer of the time. It was right. a local beer. And no, we were absolutely honest. Okay, did it happen yeah. or didn't it? We yeah. And the other thing that I don't remember, I'm not, I'm not calling the acuity of anything into account, of course. <laughs> I believe everything. You guys made the film. But um, the, the the drugs, the pills coming in generic packets with just the name of the drug on the packet, like black on white. I don't remember that at all. That was You can't remember that. And there you go. Welcome to the world of the madness of the modern yeah. film world we live in now. You cannot show a a bottle anymore because all those names now are all copyrighted and owned by Uh, drug companies. You are not allowed to use labels. You can't even, like we had sleeping tablets. Right. Yes. The word Valium, which was the big thing, Valium is copyrighted and they came after us and said, you cannot use the word Valium. So, you know, that is legal stuff you have to get into. Uh, So we only caved when we were actually told that we'd go to court for the rest of our lives for saying the word Valium and putting it on a pill bottle. You can't even write the word Valium. No, can't do it. It's owned by a drug company. That's a shame. That is a shame. So they're called sleeping tablets in a generic boring bottle. Otherwise, we'd get sued. (laughs) That makes sense. I, I see. So this film has more energy in every single frame than any film I've seen in 2017. If And I use this, you know, as a compliment or however you want to take it. It is frenetic to me. Is that something that is in the script or do you create that on set or is that an editing thing? It was, um, I, for years now I've actually, you know, the rule of thumb when you're making a two-hour film is that you write a 110 or 120-page 
script. Yep. And then you throw 30 minutes onto the cutting room floor. Now, I've done that in my entire career. Everyone does it. And, but you do stuff, you do shots and scenes that you really work very hard for. And at the end of the day, the film's too long, so you throw it out. Yep. What a waste. I said, for this time, I'm not going to do that. I'm absolutely not. So <laughs> instead of the 110-page script, I wrote an 89-page script. Yeah. And in that 89-page script, I had to make sure I got everything. So it was, it was an assault on paper. It was the most crammed. I had to cram, you know, 50 years of memories into 86 pages. 80, 80, 80, 80, what did I say? 80, what was it? 89. 89 pages were, yep. I had to cram all those memories into those. So therefore, on paper, it was bad already. It was tough and people looked at it. And then on our first test screening, I'd never seen an audience so gobsmacked <laughs> to a point where and all we got from everybody was screaming, even kids, it's too fast so the film actually grew by another couple of minutes another five minutes oh wow i had to slow it down and even that it's slowed down a bit now it's still as people are saying it's the fastest thing they've ever seen in their life and like well it's i wasn't not going to make a boring film and you know what hey we're a, we're a viral generation you know people now spend watching like they, they the bites that they see things in, people do think faster. So I took a gamble on that and said, no, people think faster. I'm not going to pander and slow it down. I said, keep up, everyone. We all do. So it's, it's a gamble. I hope it's going to pay off. Oh, definitely, because it's not like, I mean, it's, you can follow the narrative. There's no problem there. And it just, the propulsive energy propels you through it. I mean, yeah. it's not so. I've even had crew members now simply saying, was that shot in it? Was that shot in it? Was that scene in it? Was that? And, and I said, Every single thing's in it. Oh, wow. Nothing hit the cutting room floor. So I've got crew members now seeing it for the third time. Yeah. So they can catch all the stuff that they didn't see. Well, that's kind of how it feels with the props and everything. It feels like you jam the frame so full of visual gags and everything, things to remember, things to make people like my age go, oh, that, that it does feel like you literally jammed everything you could in, including all your memories. Oh, your memories are great, but little things. Like, you know, I got a wobbly overhead projector for the school and I made sure it had a wobbly wheel, so... It, when the teacher touches it, the whole thing goes blah, blah, blah. And, we, and it was real, you have to find some of this stuff. Mm. But that gets a laugh. <laughs> that overhead projector that wobbles when you touch it, people immediately go right back into their memory banks. And that, for a specific bunch of people, is an enormous laugh factor. For other people, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But it was great. You know, all of that was, yes, I'm just, this, everyone has something in it for them. And I'm just hoping that. Uh, you know, the, the younger generation coming up, will they get the film? Because it's it's nothing in it for them, but they are getting it because every one of them is coming back saying, did this really happen? Right. Were children raised like this? Were these parents that irresponsible? Did they really drive home drunk from the beach every day? You know, those series of questions coming out of younger people and saying, yeah, it happened. Yeah, the drink driving thing is a whole other kettle smoking, of fish. Smoking and drink driving, it was mandatory. That's what you did. There weren't, <laughs> there weren't any rules and there was no politics to be in, politically incorrect about. Yeah. Just in terms of sort of your working methods as, as the auteur, the, the writer-director, in a sequence, for example, there's a sequence on the beach with Jeremy Sims moving in slow motion. I, there's so much in that film that I, I'm sorry, I forget exactly what he's doing. He's chasing a beach umbrella. That's right. So is that written in the script yep. as a slow motion thing? Yes. Could you? I, I see. Okay. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So you plot out your set pieces. No, and some films you do and some, some films you don't. This one we had to because we were so meticulously crammed and we had some... The, 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 the page was very much there. The freedom happened on this one much more for the actors. I let the actors let the actors run with it within their frames. Uh-huh. And that was one I didn't even want to have control over. I just said, no, I know what i got to cram in. You're in the frame. You're there. You do your thing. Yeah. And sometimes they go too far, and that's okay. That's what you've got some um, second takes for. Yeah. But you also, you've, ha, 
I, I work in the cutting room. So sometimes actors say I'm demanding on this and you say, not a problem. I'll just take it out in the cutting room. <laughs> yeah. I loved Jeremy in this role. It is well, so it nice good, to see Jeremy he? Sims in, I would suggest he's the, the adult lead of the film. He uh, is. He's got the emotional. Yeah. He's got the emotional. It's like Hugo Weaving in Priscilla. Yeah. Nobody knows really, no one can see Hugo at all in the film. It's all about Guy being fabulous and Terence being fabulous. No one sees Hugo, but Hugo is the heart of the film. Jeremy Sims is definitely the heart of this film. Yeah. And it's great to see him in a lead and yeah. it's, he's terrific and yeah. he gets to wear the worst slash best slash worst outfit in the whole film. Day two on the beach they gave him the worst set of Speedos. <laughs> it was so tight and so small and he just said I, okay I get it now and I put the camera right behind him and as I was about to roll I just got up and slid his swimmers down a little bit so and he said, I said sorry Jeremy, more bum crack and he said yeah, I kind of gathered now why I've been employed. And that was day one. <laughs> day And he, what a trooper. There was nothing I couldn't throw at him, no matter how confronting it was or how humiliating or embarrassing. He just said, nah, let's go with it. It's we're commit, we've great. gone this far. Let's just commit. That could be great shorthand with you and Mr. Sims working. More yep. bum crack. More bum crack. More bum crack. <laughs> oh, you know what you mean. <laughs> day, day two of shoot. More bum crack. <laughs> we've only got a couple of minutes, so I've got to ask you two little casting questions. One, Atticus Rob who plays the younger you, I suppose, he looks like you. Yeah, it's a bit Was chilling, that deliberate? It? No. It, you know what? How can it not be? When right. a kid walks into a room, there's got to be a little, there's got to be subliminally something in my head that went, ooh, that's yeah. interesting. My God, we're, we're carbon. I mean, he really looks oh, like you. Photographs, <laughs> photographs side by side, carbon copies, it was terrifying. That wasn't it. It was always in the back of my head. And honestly, when he first came in for his first test, he did one on his own on an iPhone. And my gut, your gut your director's gut is always right. Not head gut. Gut said, he's interesting. Then I got him in and then I started testing him. He completely fell apart. He didn't work. And then I got him in. I kept saying, everyone else, he's not working. Get him in again. Get him in again. And I kept dragging this poor kid back in again. I said, I know it's there. I can see it. I... And he just said, well, you're frightening me now because you just keep dragging me in and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. He said, every time I come in, I'm getting more nervous. So then I gave him a couple of weeks to be unnervous, gave him some exercises and then got him on the phone before he came in and we made fart noises and duck (laughs) jokes and I did anything I could just to pop the balloon and then rolled camera and I said, just be yourself now. Forget about the lines. There's no line. And And on that, I think, seventh test, I saw it and he said, he's got it. And I saw probably 600 kids. Lovely. Well, he's very good. He's he's, he's outstanding. First job too. Wow. He holds the movie. It's his movie. He's terrific. My other quick little casting question for you. Did I see you in two roles? Yeah. I thought so. Are you in more? No, I didn't want to. I thought thought I'd do one cameo. I usually do most films. But as we ran out of money, uh, it became a little bit desperate. And uh, I... (laughs) When the clock was against us, there was a, another, there's a, there's a TV reporter and eventually whilst they were trying to cast him, I just put the wig on and said, I'll do it, roll camera and literally stepped in front of a camera and had it nailed in about, oh, one and a half minutes rather than getting someone in would have turned into a three or four grand exercise. I did it in one and a half minutes. And unfortunately the, for the policeman role, hang on a tick. Sorry. That's my alarm for my car. Stay with it. Someone's breaking into my guest's car right now. I do play a policeman in the film, and just for the fun of it, I thought I'd put on a fat suit. So I crammed, <laughs> crammed into it. I regretted it within the hundredth of a second because it was stinking hot. Don't I do mean, that to yourself. No, hot fat suits in, in 41 degrees is not a good idea. But the worst part is people have said, oh, yeah, we loved your cameo in the film. It's, good, it's glad to see you've lost some weight. 
everyone just assumed I was immensely overweight. I said, it's a fat suit. And I went, oh, sorry, we didn't know that we did that. I could talk to you forever, but your car alarm's going off. Stefan, thank you so much for coming in to Movie Land today. Thank you. Stefan Elliott's new film is Swing and Safari, and it is opening wide across Australian screens. So there you go. That's it for me for now. That's it for the podcast for now. As I say, subscribe to my website for free, filmmafia.com.au. Check out my show Watch This on skippy.tv. That's S-K-I-P-I dot TV. Follow me on Twitter at CJ Movieland. And more than anything, make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend. Take care. That you pardon didn't drink. But at least you thought you wanted it. That's so much more than I can say for me. What a good year for the roses. Many blooms still linger there. But long could stand another mowing. Funny, I don't even care. As you turn to walk away, as the dark behind you closes, the only thing I have to say it's been a good year for the